It's the Tiltcast, episode 535, not Rimworld. And this week, guys, we talk Fall of Men, Stranded Alien Dawn, Surviving the Abyss, and Mech Warrior 5. Stay tuned. It's the Pick and Shovel Cast. Ah. And we're back. It's the Tillcast. It's an M-Reddit show. I'm Nas. I'm Jason. And the two of us, you will get about 30 minutes of bullshit. Bullshit. So I gave some news. Um, it is really just the two of us. Rusty got pulled to do some other things this week, so he is out of the loop. But me and Jason got this nailed down. Um, it is... 3.12 p.m., 59 degrees on a Saturday, the 28th of January, in the year 2023, just to date this to piss Rusty off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been kind of an uneventful week, but there's, I'm changing the way that I'm doing things. So, like, literally, the only things that I've done this week is uh, hang more shit. I'm finding out that I've got some really good quality picks of some things that I've taken uh, during concerts. So, for instance, there's this band called In Ferry. I took some pictures of, and this was hard, too. So, the In Ferry and Archspire show I did last year, I was in the pit and about one person deep from the stage, and both shows were exceptionally rowdy, is the best term I can use. And very specifically, at Archspire, the vocalist was like, hey, so put your phones up. I want you to have fun, right? And then about 30 minutes into the set, he's like, all right, if you want to snap a couple of photos, I'm fine with it. He's like, but I wanted you to not do that phone shit for the first 30 minutes of the set. So, <laughs> like, I got a really good picture of him, like, literally leaning like an inch from my phone and let me snap a picture, um, which nice. I got uh, hanging on my wall now. Um, I mean, but it, at the same time, that's, that's smart. And I think that's something a lot of... Uh... Artists need to uh, need to kind of lean into a bit because they're right. It's way too easy for people just stay distracted with their phones and not well, get into the concerts as much as they used to. It's weird. Like, you know, stepping back for a second, the I went to a, I went to like thirty shows last year, and that's not really much of an exaggeration. It might have actually been more. Or saw thirty bands, and not thirty total events, but about 30 bands. And the amount of people at shows nowadays that just sit there and record the show, like you're not going to watch that later, potentially, right? Like the audio quality is not that great. It's coming in on your cell phone, but you'll watch tons and tons of people do that. And then see some people snapping photos, but most of the time they're recording videos. I did, I think at every show I recorded like maybe 30 seconds or something. Because I wanted to kind of remember, but like I didn't really post most of that stuff. I didn't really post most of the images I took, to be honest with you. Um, and now that I got a real camera, I'm going to try to get into some shows with my real camera now. But um, yeah, like it's weird. Like probably a good 30% of everybody has their phone up for most of the show if nobody says anything. I mean, and it just seems there's weird. Been, there's been the last couple like small concerts and went to it like uh um out at the Cherokee casino the hard rock casino because um 
members of my wife's family gets free tickets all the time. Uh, so we've gone to a few small shows, and the last few, I've there's been times where I've taken a little bit of video just for just because the um, like the shaky stabilization with video on my phone that processing is better than like for pictures right so i will record some video just to take the stills out of the video that's fair i mean you know we all have good cameras on your phone the, the thing is is there's no you have no actual zoom other than digital zoom you have no actual focus other than digital focus and so by doing that you enhance or shrink the size of pixels, which means the images don't always look true to life. So any of yep. the any of the uh, photos that I've taken that came out good was because I was exceptionally close, like as close as this table is to the wall. And so I would get that close and take pictures, and those are the good ones that I got or because I was that close. Um, and that's the ones like they turned out really well. I did a I did a. 12 by 16 I got on the wall of Inferia and I printed it on a with a metallic coating. Um, I almost wish that it didn't have glass on the frame like the picture is crisp. Um, I did that in black and white. And then I also started signing all of them with what band it is and then the date. Like my Archbire one, it was a 20 by 30 uh, print that I'd made. Um, and I combined two smaller ones with one larger one. And I had some exceptional photos that I've got of that that are hanging in my living room now. Um, I just did a Megadeth one that I'm waiting on in the mail for. Um, like most of my money and hobbying right now is going towards photos and frames and stuff like that. I forgot how expensive frames are. I just printed up two canvases of some shots I took at High Lung because there is a, and I'm hoping these are good, but Walgreens had some kind of sale on canvases through a company they partner with to do prints on canvas. And each canvas was only $20, which I couldn't pass up because they're normally like 80 bucks. And I wanted to see if the quality is good on these with canvas, I'll probably do some more because I don't have to frame them. Like, for instance, if I print a photo that's, you know, medium to large to like 16 by 20 or 24 by 36 or 20 by 30, those are all be like a $20 singular print at least, if not more, like maybe 30 bucks. A frame that size ranges from 30 to $40. So now for one image, I'm out 70 bucks. If I can do a canvas that I don't need to frame, that's the only investment I have. It's the print on canvas and it's done. Right. So... Same thing with display. I don't need to frame the display. It's like I probably could, right? Like there are very, there are the, an exact size that goes in a frame. But I kind of like the way they look without the frame. So I've got a handful of those that I've got on the wall right now too. And they run sales all the time at like 30 and 40% off. So you usually buy two for almost the price of one. So I don't know. That's That's what I've been up to. That's in my free time when I'm not video gaming going through photos and working on a bunch of photos of friends. And I'm just going to do those in regular, you know, target frames or something like that. Kind of arrange those all around the wall. I'm not really, I'm too symmetrical. I'm realizing with the way I place all my shit. So I think I'm going to ping my friend Vanessa and see if she can make this look a little bit more chaotic and homey at some point with me and just hang all this shit after I get everything in. 
But yeah. I mean, it works. Yeah. My house is getting very uh, pictured up. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Like for a long time, this house was pretty empty. Or I had a. My house was kind of in girlfriend mode. I'm going to say that very plainly and without with shame. And that I had a lot of uh, nondescript. I never had a live, laugh, love. So, point one, never had live, laugh, love. And if I ever do, I'm going to get the one with the Skeletor meme. But, <laughs> point being, I had a lot of really plain modern art, like paint stripe shit hanging on the wall. And there was a little bit of it around the house. Like, there's like maybe one picture per wall. It looked like a rental house. And it was boring. And I had this little nerd corner that you guys also used to make fun of because it was like two shelves full of like fallout and band shit clustered together in one corner. And that was my nerd wall. And then ever, since everything's changed over the last year, like my whole mantelpiece has been changed up about to think I'm going to hang my canvases on the on the brick on the mantelpiece. And then I've got all my figurines and all my shit all over the house. This house is like pure, uh, pure birth control. Um, if you're going for a girl that's going to uh, hate on you for your nerd shit, so I'm at a my give a fucks have lowered a lot in the last year or so. So I'm at a point where if somebody is not into that stuff, they're probably not for me, and I ain't out there head hunting right now anyway. So just gonna make it whatever makes me happy. Good for you, man. But I have been playing a lot of survival games, but before I dove into that, I've been talking a lot, Jason. Have you been doing anything of note or played anything interesting recently? And not not really. I've been uh, way too busy with uh, with getting ready for Girl Scout cookie season to start. So the most I did this week was uh uh as my expiration date on my ultimate subscription was coming up i uh uh finished it out playing uh playing power wash simulator as i could fit it in and then uh hopefully by the end of the month i have that subscription renewed <laughs> oh i got gotcha. you i could have been playing more control and more tactics ogre but I just we were we were so busy I never really sat down with it. Um so yeah. If you uh I don't know if you've tried a lot of this but the Xbox for Android Xbox uh my Game Pass for Android works pretty damn well. And yeah, it does actually. I've experimented a little bit. You definitely still want to be on Wi-Fi like even 5G doesn't really a lot of latency let me put it that way yeah I my cell phone service is sometimes a little bit patchy with data but I don't I work from homes right so most of the time I'm not going elsewhere um, so all of my stuff's over Wi-Fi but the reason I use it I was so my work has a reward system so I got a tablet about two or three years ago that I used to use the cloud service with, right? I'm in my bedroom, just chilling out, you know, hanging out with the dog and watching TV. Then I'd be on my tablet playing, you know, Game Pass on my tablet. And now I integrated that with Steam Deck. And I don't know if I've talked about it a lot, but most of my time in a game called Chained Echoes 
is on my Steam Deck using the cloud version of Game Pass. Um, it is on Game Pass. It's also on Steam. It's worth buying if you don't want to get Game Pass, but it's definitely worth playing if you haven't played it. It is a it's a JRPG in the way that you remember old JRPGs, so kind of like Chrono Trigger, essentially, is what it reminds me a lot of, mixed with Final Fantasy VIII, maybe, or before that. It's all done in a very pixel art design with sprites that are really highly detailed and set for 4K so they don't look like shit. But it's uh, it's got a really interesting story. It's got a fairly... It does something different, right? So when we were playing JRPGs when a kid, you could relate to it a lot because you were about the age of the characters or just a little bit younger. I find it really hard sometimes. Like, Seven's a good game, and the Seven remake's a good game, but I have a hard time relating with Cloud, them being like 20 years old, right? Because I'm 40. Right. He just comes off as the whiny emo kid now. He comes off as a teenager. And since I've matured, I see that now, like that he has written as a teenager. He has acted as a teenager. His lines are just like a teenager. And I just don't relate with it in the same way that I used to. And Chained Echoes has a lot. They have like one angsty character. Your main character is a little bit older. And then like the other characters that are in your party are like in their 30s, right? And 40s. So like they're adult characters. And they're written in a more adult way. Um, and I'm not just talking about the language because, like, fuck said a few times in that game. And that really threw me off. I was like, wait, what? Um, I'm not used to my JRPGs cursing at me. Um, you get the occasional shit or damn in, in Final Fantasy. But most of the time, it's pretty, it's like it's like going to, to, to youth group um, <laughs> with the language they choose for those games. And uh, the, the themes are not that adult. So there's a lot more adult themes in this revolving around like, well, I don't actually want to spoil it, but like it's essentially like an R-rated movie in a JRPG or at least a really hard PG-13, um, which is, again, not what I'm used to. The story's en- engaging and enjoyable and doesn't take the doesn't take the twists and turns you expect it to as you go. And that's refreshing. It's it's written by one guy and like the mission and vision of the guy that did everything. I say everything. So Chain Echoes is one guy that does everything but background art and music. There's no voice acting. It's all, you know, with lines of written lines of dialogue that you scroll through and read. But like all the sprite design, all the mission design, all the quest design, all of the animations, um, like everything's done by one guy. All the writing for all the story, one guy. And he's been doing it for like six or seven years or something crazy like that. But he's a fan of old JRPGs, but he wanted to streamline a lot of those systems. So like you have a whole thing where you kind of get energy for using specific attacks. And when you get it into the sweet spot, which is like there's an energy gauge, let's just say it's red, yellow, green, or maybe it's like yellow, green, red. So when it's in the yellow range, everything costs the same amount of energy as it says on its description. Once it's in the green, it costs half the amount of energy that it says in the description. Once it goes to red, you take like 50% more damage and your abilities cost more. 
but you can use abilities to, depending on the scenario, and I don't know what the math is behind it, but you'll see that the there's arrows on each ability that show which direction it's going to make the gauge go, essentially. So you can use that to mitigate it and keep the gauge in the middle as you use it so that you can use abilities all the time. It wants you to use your whole toolkit. So like all of the silences, right, all the different abilities you use to help crowd control. It wants you to use that. Like Final Fantasy, you'd save up your Blazaga or whatever it is, right, for a really pivotal moment in the battle because you knew you'd have to chug a whole bunch of mana potions in between after the battle or whatever to recover. Or you knew you had a timer before you could only use so many mana potions in between. Well, your mana recharges after every single battle, so you're encouraged to go ape shit with everything you got in your toolkit. You've got potions and things like that that you can use, but they're kind of rare, kind of hard to find, so you really use them as a clutch item. You use buffs within your party, so like there's a regain spell for regaining mana, essentially, or whatever energy is, I think, the term they use. You use that to help you mitigate how much energy you use between every cast of whatever ability you use. Um, you you keep your party healed by having people, a healer in your group. You can also hot swap between two characters, kind of like tag in, tag out. So if you've got a guy that's about to KO, you can tag him out with somebody else that'll also move the meter back and it'll give you a fresh person in the battle that's got full mana, full HP to continue fighting. And you kind of set up your synergies in a way that makes it the most efficient use of different abilities and, and how you pair them with others. And so it's it's just done really smartly with that kind of stuff. There's not any random encounters. All the encounters on the world map are things that you see on the world map. So there's that. So it doesn't ever feel grindy. It does this level up system where as you complete quests or collect a certain amount of items on a map, you unlock a node which gives you more points to spend towards abilities with your characters. There's no experience bar. The different actions or earn you an XP of a sort or a currency to use towards unlocking abilities, but your character is not like not leveling up incrementally in the same way that you would a different RPG. So that you're encouraged to grind differently. You're not encouraged to grind by fighting monsters. You're encouraged to grind by completing the objectives in your like sub-objective menu, essentially. So you grind that way. You do all the things in the map, you get a whole boatload of extra points to spend on your characters and grow them. Um, and you get some materials to help craft and upgrade your items. So, like, there's just a nice. lot of smart stuff done on it. And it has mechs on top of all that. So, like, on top of that, about after you get past the first part of the game, which takes you about 10 hours, you unlock mechs. And your mechs have a whole nether battle system and a whole traversal system for the map that changes the way you interact with maps. And that you can access areas you couldn't before. Um, it came out like very early December. And I kind of wish I'd played it and beat it before we got to game of the year. Because depending on how it ends, like I might have actually put this on my list. It's really good. And it plays on fucking everything. It's on Switch right now. But also on Game Pass and on PC, right? I think you can get it on, you can get it on Steam and on Xbox and then... I don't know if it's on the actual Xbox, but it's definitely on Switch, and it'll it'll run on any old potato. But Chained Echoes, man, that's uh that was a hidden gem, and I wish I'd tried it out earlier. I, it was one of those things that I literally tried out on a whim. 
I looked at the description. I was like, that looks pretty neat. It's only like three gigs. I'll just go ahead and download it while I'm playing this other game, and I'll get to it when I get to it. That'll remind me to play it later. And then I played it after while we're in the middle of our game of the year discussion. So I was like, why did I not play this earlier? This is really good. Because, you know, we were doing our because game of the year. there was so much game. Yeah. When we were doing our game of the year, I had to finish out Plague Tale, and I had to finish out Dark Tide. Um, so... You know, I wanted to get a character to level 30 in Dark Tide so I could see what the end game was like, and I wanted to make sure that I finished the story in Plague Tale, which I totally should have done earlier, because it only took that like 20 hours and some change, I think, is what I put into that to beat it. Um, So yeah, Chained Echoes, man. Freaking amazing, amazing JRPG. Nice. I mean, it definitely sounds like it it has enough of those things that we all i think as we've grown up as we've become mature adults have have wanted to see rpgs grow up with us as and they've just not really like for the most part jrpgs are still catering to the teenager well the thing about JRPGs, too, is they were intensely grindy in a way that wasn't always fun, right? You know, you're going to go out there and kill a bunch of, like, D-list enemies or C-list enemies for a while, and you go in circles hoping for random encounters in old, in old Final Fantasy so you could max out your character level, right? And some of these newer ones that are influenced by that, and I say newer as in, like, even Tactics Ogre, which is technically not a JRPG, but kind of technically is. It's a turn-based RPG, um, a tactical turn-based RPG. Like, discourage grinding. Like, in Tactics Ogre, you get to a certain level, and you don't level up again until you move the story forward. All you do is, like, you can level up. I think you can level up your skills, and that's basically it. You can't level the character's current level at all. Like, once it, you hit that gate, which I know some people hated. I didn't mind it because it's like, all right, Quit, quit fucking around over here in this dungeon. Like, go, go play the story, you, you idiot. Right? Like, I, you needed to get back on track, and it made you. It was pretty easy to max out the level pretty quickly too. So it's like, if you want to do all that other shit, like, this is your area to level in between. If you don't think you're quite where you need to be when you're getting to the next big battle, um, and I like that about Tactics Ogre. But Chained Echoes is similar. It has a different system for that. But it reduces the grinding, and it's all it's all good content. Not that grinding isn't always good, but sometimes it's really bad. Sometimes it's just adding a layer of bullshit for you to do in between all the good. And sometimes my patience it's for that. Just the grind for the grind, right? And sometimes that's okay in certain situations. I do like repet repetitious tasks, working towards a goal if that task is somewhat engaging. Just what I've been looking for with these survival games. I've been looking for a clone or something that reminds me of like Seven Days to Die or RimWorld for a while. And there's this Steam Builder Fest that's going on right now where everything's like way cheaper than it should be. And I, uh, I have taken advantage of this a little bit to try out some new stuff. Um, and this is what happens with me. I pick up at several games during these times, right? And I'll spend about 40 bucks or something like that, right? Because I know my game budget, I usually set about 
60 to a hundred bucks a month, depending on what I do. Um, and I found some that are good. I found some that are decent and I found some that are not ready yet. So I kind of want to talk about that. So let me talk about the ones that have potential and ones that are really weird that I've put a significant amount of time in. So there's a game called The First Men or TFM, and it has this weird kind of like don't starvish art style. And I don't, I'm not ready to rate it yet, but I'll tell you what I've gotten so far. It's, it's so much more different than what you're used to. Um, you have direct control only in very specific scenarios. So if you're in combat, you have, you can add direct control to your characters. Other than that, you don't even have a, you don't even have the normal priority list that you have in RimWorld. You are essentially focusing on what these people like and growing them towards that. So I'll give you an example. Start off with like four, four people, right? And it starts you off at the camp. And then you've got to create different resource nodes to increase different jobs. So for example, um, and you got to increase, they call it their passion system, right? So my guy has a green, that does not going to matter in context. My guy has a high passion for things that are of a certain color. So green typically means like builders, crafters, um, gatherers, whatever. So I make him that passion for gathering. And that's what I started with. So he randomly goes and whatever's in this world seed in this area or in this radius, he goes and collects and he stores that shit in a chest and that's all he does. And then he will get additional sub choices for specialty items within that. So you're encouraged to take every single person and specialize them towards a specific role in this colony you're creating. And then you get subclasses for that until you have them very specialized. You, if you multi-class your guys too much, it will not work. I tried that. I've, I've tried and failed like three or four times. What I didn't realize is the very first map that you do is basically just tutorial island and there's not a lot in the way of combat, which I was hoping for. In combat, you have direct control though. So as your colony grows, you get skill points based on what you're doing and those skill points you use to you know, grow their abilities, et cetera, right? And you manage your resources by making sure you have specific people doing those things. So if I have somebody that has an interest in that's called the red category, he's going to be interested or she's going to be interested in fishing or hunting or whatever. And then maybe that specializes into trapping, right? That also happens to be the same category that builds up their their health stats, which also makes them good warriors, so when they're not warriors, I have them hunting and trapping and getting all of the animal food, basically, right? And then when I want to fight, then I draft them and turn them into a little army to go skirmish with something. Um, but that passion system of not having direct control means you spend a lot of time in the menus looking at what's going on to figure out how you need to specialize characters. And sometimes it is just waiting. And when there's not a lot of in the way of an objective in the game, when you're playing in sandbox mode, it can get kind of boring because it's a, it's pretty grindy in that regard. Um, I didn't fail. Well, I did fail the first couple of times, but like in my current game, I got to the end and it said exit Arcadia or whatever it was and I exited. And so the next scenario I'm going to fire up is something that's uh, more combat focused and more quest focused. There's some really cool enemies. There's some really cool art design in the game. 
it just moves at a snail's pace most of the time. And then it has like some really cool moments on what's going on, but it needs a little bit more. So it's kind of like, I'm not going to overfocus on it. It's on like version 0.6 right now with a release date sometime this year. Um, and they seem to release updates fairly regularly, like every month or so they release a pretty big push on whatever they're doing with it. But it's an interesting game. I'd say hopefully uh, <laughs> you picked it up because I think it's going to be off sale by the time we release this episode. But I think regularly it's um, – here we go to the store page and see how much it is. I want to say it's like 20 bucks. Oh, it's normally 25 bucks. I it's on sale right now for 20 bucks. So that was one of my larger purchases for this one because I've been interested in it for a while. I've been following it. Oh, well, that's not bad. Yeah. It's uh and nowadays like 20 bucks is like 5 bucks, right? Um I mean, if you ask the grocery store, I know my uh people laugh. I usually strive to spend about 60 bucks at a time when I go to the grocery store. And that ends up being like bacon and eggs and lunch meat. Um, it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's um, ridiculous. One of the ones that was more complex than I wanted it to be right now and decided to kind of put it down, but is very good is a game called Nasis. And I've talked about it before. Nasis is a top down dungeon like a dungeon explorer, but also a colony sim at the same time. It has a whole lot of systems. It reminds me of Terraria, mixed a little bit of Minecraft, mixed with a little bit of RimWorld. It's got a colony, like priority thing that you can do with colonists after you build up your colony. But initially you start off as a singular adventurer. There's no time combat. You're like real time slash, you know, slashing your sword or using your bow or your magic or whatever. And it's a very meaty game, but it's so meaty that if I decide to invest and play this, I will be playing it the next month. It is a very decent game if you're looking for something that combines that. Um, I didn't want to invest that kind of time. So one of the games I picked up around, um, picked up on this, is one called Surviving the Abyss. And this is an example of one that has potential, but it's not quite there yet. So Surviving the Abyss is a game where you're underwater. And it's kind of like uh, Frostpunk underwater. I don't know if you've played Frostpunk, but it's kind of a yep. survival city management sim. And I like I like that system in Frostpunk, right? You're always on the brink of running out of something, and you're always trying to innovate your way into the next tech tree to make sure you survive the winter. Very similar systems in Surviving the Abyss, but the timers you have are more your your people's stress, and there's monster attacks, and there's... Very little air and food and fuel. And you're fighting very limited resources to get to the next tech tree. The problem is it's not balanced very good. It looks neat. There's a lot of cool things going on. But I found myself taking one step forward to take four steps back all the time. Like the upgrades were too incremental. And I just think it needs some balance tuning to make it work better. But I've put three and a half hours in it and failed like four times already. And I think it's because, and I've like streamlined it. I even watched a video on like how to get the best start with this and still failed. Um, and I'm a pretty veteran RimWorld player. I am a RimWorld player that's got like 300 hours in it and I don't ever play it on easy mode. I always play it on either medium or hard. And this just, it's the tuning of the game. It's just, 
I'm always at the brink where I don't have, it's like if I, to give you an example, right? I'm in a current state where I actually put it down, uninstalled it, and put it in my play later folder, right? Which means wait till it's done updating. I'm at a point right now where the issue I'm having is that with the current um, state of things, I basically have to wait for myself to clone more people to get the energy I need to produce the to produce the the power I need to make sure that I can go to the next tier to get the food that I need to make sure I don't starve. Like it's so it's almost like I need a build order. Like if you ever played StarCraft with somebody who's very good at StarCraft, like there are certain build orders on things to make sure that you have a successful start and get a head start on people. It's that tightly tuned right now to where you almost, there's no leeway for you to do it anyway, anything other than very specific steps to get where you need essentially for every map. It's just, it's just too tightly tuned and it's, it's difficult in a way that's not real fair. And I don't like that. It, it, it was not just challenging. It was, you should have done this 30 turns ago and now you're paying the price for not doing this 30 days ago in your game time or whatever. And now you're just basically going to be in a fail state here in about 10 turns. So why wait an hour to be in a fail state? So that's kind of my thoughts on surviving the abyss. So lots of cool things going on there. The concept's great. The aesthetic's great. Most of the systems are great. It's the tuning on how much fuel you need to survive, how much tech it needs to, that you need to get in order to get to the next tech tree to make things efficient enough to start to expand. Like I feel like I'm just going to be sitting in this one spot, but I can't just sit there because I'm constantly running out of fuel and I'm constantly searching for fuel. And then it takes energy to get to the next spot, but I can't produce the energy because I'm running out of fuel. It's just, it's stressful in a way that was not enjoyable. Um, it sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there is a certain genre of game that I expect to stress me out, right? And when I'm in the mood for that, I'll go to it. You know, stuff like Dead Space. Oh yeah, that's out. Or Alien Isolation. Or, but you shouldn't get stressed out just by just by like a management sim or something like that. Like that shouldn't be stressful. Yeah. It was just, it just gets on my nerves. It was getting to a point where it gets on my nerves. So I stopped playing it. Um, and I put it on my play later folder, which means when it comes out in 1.0, I'll get a notification that it's out now. Then I'll install it, check the changes to decide if I need to put it in the never play again folder that I have in steam for things that I'm just done with. Um, so that it filters it out of my library view so I don't see it. Um, the only That's the one, the one like sidebar I have about Steam, right? I kind of wish you could sell games again <laughs> because I would trim my library down significantly. I've got a lot of games that I've bought since 2004, over 20 years. Um, like 700 and something games I've bought in 20 years. But, you know, like <laughs> I don't play all of those. And some of those are old. So, I don't know. The one game I, that I really like, and I already have 16 hours in this game, um, is called Stranded Alien Dawn. I found out about this game from PC Gamer a few weeks ago during Christmas. And I decided it wasn't into a, a building sim mode when I saw it on Steam. And 
there was an article they put out about it being kind of like a, another version of RimWorld, but with a completely different setting. And I was like, you know, I like RimWorld. I'll, uh, I'll give it a shot. And it's on the Steam Builder sale, right? So I went ahead and picked this up. And it is basically, in a nutshell, 3D RimWorld, complete with the same priority systems. Um, but it's not. And the systems interact a lot differently. Like to get to a point where you can keep food fresh in a refrigerator takes a fair amount of time, probably about an hour's worth of gameplay. So you spend a lot of time like pickling shit or drying meat out, etc., And then trying to figure out which survivors you have, have the best skills for that. But it also does a lot of wave-based combat, which is not necessarily a RimWorld thing or early on. RimWorld takes a while before you get to a point where you're getting invaded a lot. Because it's based on your colony wealth. And I have a, se- a sense that this is probably the same way, right? Like you've got so many things, structures down and all those accounts towards a point system that says now you're at stage three of enemy attacks. So it does the same thing, but it ramps up a lot faster in Stranded Alien Dawn. Um, a whole lot faster. So like 10 days in, you're probably getting your first set of enemies coming your way. These These alien bugs. And the alien bugs are not incredibly hard, but it ramps up pretty quickly. So it wants you to try to figure out some kind of tower defense strategy while you're setting up your colony. And I kept dying in my winter, which was the first hard season. Like my people get cold, get pneumonia and die. Or I'd only have one person that was able to fight at a certain point, And then he just couldn't handle all the responsibilities of everything. And then my colony would die. Um. Your, your characters do grow unless they have a stat that says they can't do a specific thing. So, like, over time, this one character is like a super character but was constantly depressed because he's always taking care of sick people and he's the only survivor and he can only – has enough time to make freaking grain soup as his only meal or he eats dried meat because that's all he's got because I didn't have the understanding enough of how the preservation system of foods worked. To get it set up. But I finally got to a good run this time around where I'm about into summer of year two and where I've got a strong colony and I've got a good base set up and I've got a good uh, gauntlet of shit for enemies to go through. Essentially, enemies will go straight for your survivors if there are no walls. If you have walls, they'll go for an open gate and you have two openings. You have a door and a gate. The door will let the colonists go in and out without enemies going in and out. The gate will let anything in and out, and it's a bigger opening. So if you have a gate, the enemies will either go for a hole in your wall or straight for the gate regardless. So you can basically build really cheap walls that they won't attack that'll keep everything out for the most part, which is what I did. And then you can build a like a zigzag little maze for them to go through to get to the mouth of that, and they'll path towards that zigzag maze and go through all the traps you have. And so I set up basically like two sniper towers over the zigzag maze. So what I started with, now I've got a fucking chain gun. I've got a laser turret. I've got a flamethrower. I've got incendiary traps. I've got regular traps in there. And I've got everybody, you know, that only had like one laser pistol is my only, still working up towards the technology to get better weapons. But I basically got like a kill box that I use. And the only thing it gets past the kill boxes are enemies that basically have catapults for tails that will hit things in the middle of my fucking base. And so I have to put people in a shelter and then kind of guide them to get through the maze, to get caught up with the maze. And then I go back out and attack them. 
But that whole tower defense aspect is kind of the biggest difference between that and RimWorld. You basically can do the same thing with RimWorld. Usually you set up like kind of cheap walls, but you leave a space open in the wall and you create a really long path down that wall and you line it with traps basically. And enemies will path through the traps and get caught up or hurt or killed with the traps as they get through. And then you put a couple of turrets on the other side of the wall. So once they get to the other side of the wall, they're really fucked. Because if you put the turrets outside the wall, they'll attack the turrets and then whatever wall. So then you end up having to beef up those walls a lot because they'll, they'll work on the bigger threat, which is the turrets, before they enter the base. Right. So, so far it's really good. Um, like I said, I've put 15 hours in it and I bought it on Wednesday. And that's with me having a fairly busy work week and me playing like three or four hours a night after work. Um, every single night, including this morning, I've been in about two or three hours this morning uh, before I decided I wanted to play Witcher. But, um, if you're, if you're looking for RimWorld, but 3D with a completely different graphics engine, that's a lot more modern with a pretty strong, um, systems in place already, complete with different goals. I think it's good. It's not RimWorld good, though. Like, nothing in the survival game genre is as deep as RimWorld. RimWorld's been around a while. And the guy that makes RimWorld is just the fucking goat when it comes to that shit. Yeah, there isn't anything as good as RimWorld still. Um, but if you want an experience that reminds you of RimWorld, that's at least like the second or third best in this genre so far, I would say Survival Alien Dawn is pretty pretty far up there. That's uh, proven to be a very good survival colony sim. Um, complete with like, you know, like in Frostpunk, you'd send out your people to go find different areas. Kind of the same thing here. You, you fill up a balloon and that's kind of weird, right? But you, you fill up a balloon and they go and they can research or get new technologies or whatever from a far away place and then come back. That's another thing it does different than RimWorld. RimWorld basically like based on the level of your farmer in your group, you have automatic seeds somehow in your colony to just start planting seeds. You still get that in this, but you have to observe the plant. So if the plant you're looking for that you get the materials from that you need is not in the area, you got to send somebody over there to spend a day observing that plant. And then after they've observed it, then you can plant it wherever you want in your colony. So there is, there is some strategy. Like you get on a map that doesn't have any food immediately available close to you. You got to send out a search party and go find a couple of things and not only harvest it, but observe it so that you have the materials to take back and plant and get your colony rolling. So, I know, surprisingly deep systems. Um, the priority system works pretty good. The happiness and mood of your colonists works pretty good. Um, there are no random traits. There are no random survivors. I kind of wish it would do that. Like they have, I want to say like 30 preset survivors that all have different tuned traits and abilities and things like that. So you kind of pick off the bat, you know, which one of those you want. There's no custom building. They all have like real portraits too, which is kind of weird. So you're looking at somebody's picture or maybe it's an AI generated face. I don't know, but it looks like real pictures of people. Um, but yeah, Stranded Alien Dawn, that game is, as rewarding as it can be frustrating sometimes. Most of the time, you know if you're going to survive on that map or not, if you can make it through winter. And if you come up to winter, you still have shit for supplies, or your characters are getting sick, or you didn't make enough coats, or you don't 
have a good system to keep your people heated through negative 30 degrees. Um, it's a good survival game. And it is good in that you can save it literally any point. You know, you can pause it at any point. It's it's a good game. You can play in little chunks or big chunks. But most of it is just figuring out priorities and systems. I think it, it works for people that are at least have some kind of inclination to understanding programming. Um, if you want my honest opinion, because you just kind of figure out what the best way priorities are to make your people do what you need them to do. Because the only time you have direct control on this is also in combat. But the yeah. the tower defense thing is kind of neat. Um, and I didn't realize that. Like I've tried not prioritizing building any kind of defenses and just trying to get my colony like hot shotted up. But then my survivors are too beat up from all the attacks. All they're ever doing is healing and not cooking enough food and getting themselves in a place where they're starving because everybody's too wounded to cook or gather or do anything. <laughs> um, but yeah. I uh, stand for approval. I don't know how far I need to get into that game to call it like amazing, but it's also an early access and 100% playable. And I guess I should see how much it is. I want to say it's normally 25. It's normally 29.99. So this is where I spent most of my money. This was 26.99 cuz it was only 10% off. Um I'd say it's worth that amount of money. I'm going to get at least 30 or 40 more hours out of it as I try different runs. And I haven't even gotten into trying to set up a farm of some sort where I like breeding cows or whatever. Um, or creating the weird drug farms that I did in uh, RimWorld. As far as I can tell, there's not a lot of drugs. But I haven't gotten to the upper echelon of stuff. Like the only thing my guys have is they have tobacco. Essentially, it's like they call it smoke leaf. So my guys smoke smoke leaf in the evening hours where they're lounging around to relax a little bit, and it gives them a mood boost. Um, yeah. Whereas in Wormworld, you basically create a weed farm if you need a lot of money, and then people attack your weed farm to steal the drugs, like, and it turns into a whole drug cartel thing. Um, But yeah, survival games, that's, to me... There's a lot of them out there, like a ton of them out there. There's not a lot of really good ones. And occasionally you run across something that's exceptionally good, and it's hard to find them, honestly. Just know if you get into the fall of men, you are putting an exceptional amount of time in that to get not as much payoff as you would by getting Stranded Alien done. <laughs> gotcha. It, it has a cooler art style, and there are things about it that are much cooler, but it's a very hands-off approach and it is a the learning curve on that game is like so much steeper because i didn't even i didn't even understand what this weird passion system was i didn't realize that like I accidentally selected somebody as a rock breaker and a tree cutter well he's only going to pick one or the other depending on what's around the camp and then he's constantly just ping-ponging back and forth between a rock and a tree cutting both you basically have to turn off one of those to get him to focus on what you need and then he's only growing one of those skills at a time. So it's kind of like, where do I focus this guy? Like I had one like that and then I just, he got old and died. And then I was like, what oh, so, so he's not even going for what you have the least amount of. Oh yeah. You just turn it on or off. 
So it's better to just say, this guy's always going to mine rocks and that's it, right? Or he's going to craft rock things. Um, or he's always going to, he's going to be the guy that's the master of all the rocks. He's going to form all the cuts of rocks while he's mining the rocks. At that point, I need somebody that specializes in crafting rocks and somebody that specializes in cutting rocks so they can focus on their individual tasks. And that game's weird. Like you impregnate people with an impregnation bomb or something like that. And then you have to decide like who you want to like get pregnant based on their stats or the types of things they're focused on because that determines the babies that you get is based on the stats of the mom. Wow. Um, and then that costs a whole lot of points. Like I know that it's a very slow burn game. That's the thing about that game. Like I'm going to take you an hour to do anything to see any like real yeah. meaningful progress. Um, which is why I went back to stranded alien Dawn because I knew in an hour I could have a base basically built and be f focusing on my first farms. And by two hours in, I'd be already focusing on like somewhat advanced technologies, but like in, two or three hours into a run, I'd already have a refrigerator and, you know, solar power going or a diesel generator going or something. Like I'd already be at a point where I've got some kind of sustainability where I'm just now kind of finding the best improvements to make it better. But comparing that with the other survival, you know, the surviving the abyss, it doesn't punish you as hard for the mistakes. You can see what's going to happen later if you don't start to course correct in a way that's apparently obvious, right? Whereas yeah. the resources are scarce, but you can make do with different alternate resources, right? I've got, for power, I've got diesel, I've got solar, I've got wind. Wouldn't be surprised me if later on there's like fucking nuclear or something like that. But I can see already that I can improve solar panels. I've got batteries and batteries can be researched after you start making cells. So, and the cells are what you need to make your laser pistols. So like that all kind of correlates together. But like I saw that I was, you know, not doing so hot with my energy. So for a while, I would turn shit off that I wasn't using and then turn it back on when I needed it until I got to a power output that was good. I found out my, uh, you know, my automated defenses eat a shitload of power. There's also a node you can put connected to a motion sensor. You can say, well, this is going to be on grid two. And if the motion sensor, which is also on grid two, activates, it turns it on, basically. And there's like a little and if thing there that's really simple to use. So you can tie all that stuff to a motion sensor. So instead of my colonists flipping it on and off, I've got motion sensors on, on that to turn it on. And then I've got a day-night sensor in my research lab that when it hits nighttime, it turns all the shit in the research lab off. And then all the colonists migrate out of there that are using all of their, you know, I've got my research bench in there and my soldering bench, which produces my electronics and CPUs and GPUs and all that other shit. Just, just crazy the amount of like little ideas that they have to make that stuff work. But yeah, the uh, Stranded is definitely the, the better one of those two games when it comes to reward, even though it's a little bit different than what you're probably used to. But there was a lot of games that were in the uh, Steam Builder Fest that I don't think are worth it, or I just ended up already having it. If you're looking for, say, honestly, I've played so many of those games that, like, if you were looking for one, I could probably tell you exactly what to get if you hadn't played it. Like, again, the, the, the tops are going to be, you know, 
Ark if you want to play with friends, but if you want to play by yourself, it sucks. RimWorld, Seven Days to Die, um, and Don't Starve, Don't Starve Together. Like, those are... Subnautica is another really good one. Or Oxygen Not Included is kind of a controversial one, but it's also pretty good. Valheim, I've played that like crazy. But yeah, I've got a, the Craft the World is also really good, but doesn't technically fit into that genre. But and Frostpunk, I'm just gonna continue to go through here. Yeah, these are these are all really good. But I think we ought to take a break. So, guys, we'll be back. And we're back. Woo! Got our uh, got our water refilled. Got some things and stuff to talk about news wise. But um, realized during the middle of this that uh, hadn't really talked to you guys about MechWarrior Five, the okayest game in the universe. Um, there's a DLC that came out called The Rise of Rasohaug that just came out, and I will very honestly say I've played one fight on a new career with that DLC installed. I will say, though, that I've played the base game with all the other DLCs installed to completion again over the last three weeks. Because I started playing it in the middle of everything else while we were in the middle of uh, our review roundup, essentially, of all the games that we're going to talk about on Game of the Year. And the tuning on that game has gotten a lot better. So if you just play the vanilla game, you don't get a lot of the different mech variants that have different features. So for example, like there's a dragon that doesn't have a speed boost and there's a dragon that you can add a speed boost to, which makes a difference because my dragon goes from going 81 kilometers an hour to 130 with the boost. You hold down like left alt while you're moving and all of a sudden you like start going past fa past things faster than a locust. And it is awesome. Um, you also don't have the electronic countermeasures thing. So you've got two different ones. You've got an ECM that helps. Basically, things can't get a lock on you very easily, so you can't get LRM to death while you're in your mech. So I've got an Orion that has um, that countermeasures, and then you have like counter warfare thing you can install as well called a guardian i think and so if you run into a mech that also has that in your area you can pulse it which i think is j on your uh keyboard and it'll remove that buff from the enemy while you're fighting which is also pretty neat um but yeah i've got a ton of different variants of different mechs so like i've got an orion like i found out i've got ultra auto cannon 5 so I'm going to talk some mech speak, and Jason, you'll understand this, and any of the mech heads that are listening will understand this. But an Ultra Auto Cannon 5 normally is a pretty decent weapon. On a assault mech, not so much, except that the Ultra Auto Cannon 5 literally can fire like four times a second. So it basically turns yeah, into it. It jams occasionally. Yep. So you. But you, it's basically an auto cannon shotgun. Kind of. 
And you can essentially just fire, 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 fire with this thing. Um, so I got a special variant of a crab last week that had four Ultra Auto Cannon 5s on it. And I set them to like a, a key assignment one and two, essentially. So I basically had that one would jam and I just keep going, but I basically using that times four. And that thing was devastating, like better than any AC 20 because I could literally just like dump ammo on stuff. And I'd use my lasers in between like big fights to kill tanks and helicopters and things like that. And I'd see a mech and just leg it in a matter of like five or 10 seconds because there's just so much burst fire out of that thing. And the ultra auto cannons in that game, like the sound effects, the sound design in that game is exceptionally good. When you fire a big, ballistic round of something it sounds chunky right i've got a rifleman that has two heavy cannons which is something that's new to some of the dlcs the heavy cannon has like a eight second cooldown but it does 50 percent more damage than an ac20 so ac20 you can leg something in like two or three shots this i can leg something in two shots and it's a rifleman meaning it has a cannon on either arm so i've got two of them so as long as I have good aim, I basically leg everything pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of variants. Once you had all the DLCs, there's a lot of different, you know, loadouts you can add depending on the variant that you find. Some of the variants you find are pretty trash. Like I found like assault mechs that essentially have three weapon placements. I don't need two PPCs and a small laser. Thank you very much. That's a pretty trash loadout. A very inefficient loadout of your firepower. Um... Or, you know, I found a charger, which is supposed to be a trash mech to begin with. Found one that, you know, you can only put five small lasers on it because unless you remove most of the armor, you can't use the five medium hard points because it's really weight inefficient. So you either can be a paper thin five laser mech or I can use a light mech that has the same loadout like a commando and essentially get the same firepower with less tonnage. So, like, there's all these different variants in it. And if you play just the career in the vanilla game, the one thing that you'll realize is that you got your mission, then you got to kind of level up your crew, which means you need to take on a bunch of random missions and grind, right? You take on high risk reward missions to make sure that you can level up your company and buy the the mechs and the gun upgrades that you need to get to the next level of missions that you got. If you play with the DLC, you basically just ping pong back and forth between all the DLC missions in between. You almost never touch the random shit unless you want to. Like, I was trying to up, update my reputation so I could get extra salvage from one group, which I think was like the uh, the Merrick group or something like that. But essentially, most of the time, I just did DLC missions in between the campaign missions until I got to a level where I thought I felt pretty confident in my abilities to go to the next tonnage range, and I could do it. They also remove tonnage dis, uh, restrictions, but they penalize you. So if it says you can only have 200 tons worth of mech, well, if I go 205 for every ton I'm over, it's minus 5% reward or minus percentage rewards. So if I'm at 205, I'm minus 5% rewards. And maybe I think once I hit 10%, I'm down like one chunk of salvage, essentially. So if your mech party doesn't quite fit and you do feel better if you go over a little bit and just eat into your reward, you can do that and not suffer too steep a penalty. Um, but yeah, like by the end of the game, I'm rocking like freaking Atlas. Um, I'm trying to remember the, uh, site had an Atlas and a Cyclops. I had a, uh, a Banshee that was super kitted out. 
And I'm trying to remember what the other two I had a really weird mech and I can't remember the name of it, but it was really odd shaped. And I think it was something that was very specific to this game. Um, and you know, I had like three King crabs. The, the new DLC though, does remove a lot of the, uh, so in the old game, the vanilla game, even with the old DLCs, you only had 12 free mech spots in your bay. Um, I noticed that I had like 36 mech spots in my bay. Um, a lot of the missions chain you through different on the new DLC will chain you through dev several missions at a time before you can repair. So it's kind of essential for you to have a pretty big selection of mechs to choose and a big selection of pilots to choose so that you can do a whole shitload of missions and then go back and repair for a while. Like one of the things the game suffers from is you might have 12 mechs, but only eight of those are optimal. And if you do more than two missions in a row, then you're sitting in a spot where you're either using damaged mechs in the next mission or you need to go back and repair at a friendly star system before coming back, which usually you don't have time to do. And I think this kind of frees that up. I think you can rent additional space. And I know it talked about in the tooltip that if I was in an enemy territory, if there was a mer there will be roving mercenary parties picking up different quests in every system. And if that mercenary is aligned with the enemy that you're fighting in one of those missions, they'll come down as reinforcements to fight you as well. Or if they're aligned with the party that you're supporting in the system, they'll come down and help you as kind of like an extra help along. Um, so there's been some extra features that have been added into it. I've played so much MechWarrior the last three weeks, though, that I'm kind of done for a minute. But I know I'll go back. I've got I've looked at my playtime. I went like 301 hours in that game. Like obviously I like the okayest game. It's good comfort food gaming. The music's still trash. The graphics are still kind of just all right. But the core loop of okay, I really like that gun I just got shot by. Oh, I noticed he has an AC20. I want that or an ultra auto cannon. Make sure not to shoot the arms. I'm going to shoot the legs out from this thing, or I'm going to headshot it and try to salvage most of that mech. Like there's still that gameplay because you can see what something has on it once you target it. And so like there's a whole system of you basically just picking out what you want salvage from by locking on stuff and seeing what the loadout is and then either just killing it as efficiently and quickly as possible or being a little bit meticulous in how you take it apart so you don't get rid of the salvage that you want at the end of the mission. And I really like that loop. Um, I mean, it's kind of similar to what you did in... Battletech, right? Like you have your called shots versus just core and everything. And honestly, once you get somebody that's got good called shots in Battletech, like that's all you do. It's like headshots or leg shots, and that's what you're doing through most of the mission. Or, yep. you know, the AC 20s on the right arm, you know, you got to get rid of that fast to disable that thing, but then you're not getting AC 20 as salvage. So you either LRM it to death from way up far, far away with one of your mechs that's just an LRM boat, like a Griffin earlier mid game. Or you get right up on it with something that's also super tanky and aggressive that also has big guns that can leg it really fast or disable that arm really fast. Or or you just get a Gauss rifle or a PPC and you headshot the bitch. Yeah, I had a uh I had a mech that I can't remember the name of that was special towards the end of the game. It was a Star League mech that has double Gauss rifles. Um, and so I have them on chain fire, which means I can pew pew, wait about four seconds and pew pew again, like double shot. 
So I can either set it. So I had like my number one was chain fire, which means that I click every time I click it, it fires, you know, one of the guns. And then my number two key was essentially fire both at the same time. So if I wanted to leg something really quick, it was just shooting both at the same time to make sure I hit the spot, you know, with the same amount of weapon. Or if I was coring it or trying to headshot, then I do the chain shot with it. But uh, that game's still really fun. It's on Game Pass. Um, it's been on sale on Steam with the Rise of Rausahaug for like 15 bucks uh, for a while. Um, which I think is 100% worth it. It's got a shitload of mods. The mods are great, but I I do like the base game pretty well. Voice acting in it is terrible. Um, not even worth it. But yeah, the that game's really like the okayest mech game. And that leads into another thing I wanted to talk about. So um, Piranha Games, right, one of the uh, okayest developers out there, um, is also making a mech warrior uh, sequel to this that's due out next year. I think they've learned a lot with five DLCs in this game they've been supporting, I think, since 2019. I look forward to see what they do with that. But yeah, same developer coming out with a new game. Nice. Um, but yeah, that was about two weeks ago. They were uh, on a, the main, uh, what's his name? The president of the company of Piranha Games, Russ Bullock, revealed on a podcast that uh, No Guts, No Galaxy podcast, that they're currently in the works with MechWarrior sequel um, for a 2024 release. Um, didn't really give any more details on it, but other than it's coming out. And they currently have the rights and the license all the way through 2025. So hopefully they keep the license for a while. I don't think they're doing bad. I'd like to see a new Battletech game, though. Uh, the turn-based game was excellent. It was a better game, but it's it's kind of apples and oranges because it's completely different. Um, I have other news. What do you got, though? Um, well, really, the only thing that uh, that really pops out to me is really big since we last recorded. Um. As some of our listeners may or may not know, um, Hasbro um, and Wizards of the Coast kind of made a little bit of a blunder um, right after right after Christmas um, in releasing a new uh, quote open game license um, that basically affects how um uh third party publishers uh publish content for dungeons and dragons um this new this new open game license was going to basically make them have to submit their work to wizards of the coast for approval and any publisher that made over um like 700 grand on the content was going to have to pay um 25% of their earnings to Wizards of the Coast. Interesting. Um and there's been a lot of backlash in the social community um uh mostly because they were also along with this trying to 
uh, retcon their uh, and revoke their the previous open game license, which basically covered everything up until D and D five E, um, uh, which basically had everything other than licensed D and D characters up for use in, in making your your game or uh or your um uh expansion uh that's the game license that pathfinder is based on okay um so they were trying to revoke that whole thing and say it was no longer valid even though technically you can't copyright a game system um and you can't block people from using it um if that were so then you know like mattel would would have a copyright on on the game mechanics for monopoly and you can't do that uh you can only have license for specific characters and or story so. um <clears throat> they have uh after after getting basically just lambasted in in media and social media for the last three weeks um uh yet yesterday in fact um they uh posted on the wizards of the coast posted on the twitter page for D D beyond which is their um their like companion app where where you can buy all the books digitally etc um that the original open game license uh along with all systems reference documents up to 5e um are staying and they even put all of the reference documents for 5e under a creative commons license which means it can no longer be taken back or changed by Wizards of the Coast, etc. So basically, the the community won. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be some new um, uh, license with uh, the upcoming, uh, basically sixth edition of D and D that they're calling One D and D. Um. Uh. So you know. Uh, the uh, community may not have quote one there, but um, seeing seeing Has Hasbro basically completely backpedal um, and say, yeah, that thing we said we were going to do with revoking the old rules, we're not doing it. Um, I think is a big win um, because at this point, if they were to try to um try to bet backpedal on that even five years from now that would be a um not just a a publicity nightmare but i mean that could potentially even really wreck hasbro because wizards of the coast has been the only uh profitable business line for uh for hasbro um, for like five quarters running, they've been lo basically losing money on all their other divisions. 
Well, that kind of sucks. And, and, I mean, most of that is because the D&D community last couple of years, especially since pandemic started, uh, got so big. And a lot of that's thanks to um, the online community and third-party publishers. You know, like you got Critical Role out there and and uh, uh, their publishing house, uh, uh, Darrington Press and like Cobalt Press and uh, but a bunch of people out there that just make original stories for for D and D. Um, so, um, those those creators not having to um go from a five percent profit share with with Wizards of the Coast to 25% is a huge deal because that that kind of profit share could have really killed a lot of those third-party publishers. Yeah, I wonder what happens with that. Who knows, man? Who knows? But I think... But I think anytime you see a... Um, you see a large corporation like wizards of the coast and Hasbro, um, uh, turn directions mostly because of, uh, a community standing up and saying, this is bullshit. Um, is a win. Whether you're directly involved in it or whether you directly had any, uh, uh, interest in, in the whole thing. Um, you know, that's, that's still a win, whether you're interested in D and D, whether you've not played it in years, uh, whether you've been playing other games like Pathfinder or, um, you know, GURPS based game, like what we play or, um, or Call of Cthulhu or any of those tabletop games that aren't strictly board games, uh, you know, the this in the long run uh has positive connotations for the for the whole tabletop community right um otherwise <laughs> i know you found a few other news pieces but i don't you know there's other than what you've got there's not really a whole lot out there so well i think one thing that's worth mentioning is Justin Roiland uh, the voice for Rick and Morty and part of that series and also uh, part of Squanch Games um, has resigned from both. There was some domestic violence allegations. And, I'll, you know, who knows what's happening with him, right? I don't want to say that he did or didn't do it. But I think the pressure of that coming to light has made a lot of the companies he's working with want to distance themselves from him. And being the nature of the allegations, I think there's some substance there, right? You don't know the nature of that, but like he got in that position. Um, I guess we'll see what happens to him. We'll see what happens to Rick and Morty. I happen to like that show quite a bit. Some people think that the, uh, I'll say Rusty for sure, gets a lot of fatigue from uh, the two games that he's voiceover, which I can see that. I think Rick and Morty is best enjoyed in a couple episodes at a time and not like 10 hours at a time. Um, but they're self-contained stories, but 
Yeah, he's uh, he's not a part of Squanch and not a part of Adult Swim anymore right now, which is interesting to say the least. But from what I've heard, uh, one of the main writers is not him. Like he does contribute a lot of voice work. He does contribute some to the writing. I think that he probably does a lot of riffing on some of the uh, comedy on that, and that might suffer quite a bit. Who knows? Um, separating the artist from the person, obviously, right? But the allegations of domestic violence are serious enough that he could be facing some jail time. So I guess we'll see what happens with that after he's convicted or not. Um, another really big thing that has been happening is uh, Dark Tide continues to receive mixed reviews. We really like Dark Tide. It does not work very well without a pretty beefy system. And so some of the performance issues have obviously caused a lot of people to have some some uh, issues with the game. And a lot of people, because it is thematically very similar to Vermintide 2, compare it to Vermintide 2. And so a lot of people are wanting another extension of Vermintide 2 with, you know, between subclasses and main classes, there's like 40 classes in Vermintide, essentially, right? A lot of people got really mad at the cash shop, which I don't understand that because it is, again, just skins. And people can pay for skins or not pay for skins. And there are different cosmetic items you can earn with money in the game. I, that part, I just feels like people railing on it that are, I don't know, right? I don't understand that. If you're paying for weapons, I would be in the same camp as them. But you're not. You're paying for cosmetics, which alter the gameplay in no fashion whatsoever. Um, that being said, they sent out an open letter. I got an email about it because I've been subscribed to their, the Fat Shark uh, newsletter for quite a while. And in the email that I got, they said, we take enormous pride in our ability at Fat Shark to deliver a game that millions can enjoy. This is what we set out to do with Warhammer 40,000 Dark Tide to create a highly engaging and stable game with a level of depth that keeps you playing for weeks, not hours. We fell short of our meeting our ex, those expectations. Over the next few months, our sole focus is to address the feedback that many of you have. In particular, we will focus on delivering a complete crafting system, a more rewarding progression loop, and continue to work on game stability and performance optimization. This also means that we'll delay our seasonal content rollout and the Xbox Series X, X and S launch. Also suspend the upcoming releases of premium cosmetics. We just couldn't continue down this path knowing that we have not addressed many feedback areas in the game today. Thank you for playing and providing feedback. Really appreciate it. It has and will continue to help shape the game we love. So it's gotten a lot of, like, backlash. And it's funny, too, because you'll see, see people not recommended 550 hours of gameplay. It's like, fuck. <laughs> Was this the only game that you intended to play it? And you decided after 500-plus hours of gameplay, you're going to write a negative review and then talk about the cash shop? I get Part of it. Right. I get part of the backlash. The There's also a lot of reviews out there that are kind of in the same camp as me. This The core gameplay loop is so good that it overwrites some of the negativity that people have. You know, the stability issues I understand, right? If I play for half a day, I get kicked out probably once or twice. Um, but I don't have – after I tuned my machine, I'm not playing it in 4K and I'm playing it at 1440. You're playing it at 1080 because you're playing it on a monitor. I'm playing it at 1440 because I'm playing it on a 65-inch TV and I want to run ray tracing. So for me, like FPS for me usually runs around 70 to 90 is right about where I get. Rusty has a 3090. He usually runs a little bit over 100 at 1440p. Um, but we're running 
you know, a 2080, 3080, and 20 and 3090 with at a minimum of 60 gig, or 16 gigs of RAM with modern CPUs and GPUs. Like we've all got pretty beefy systems. Realize that the majority of people that are on a on you know PC are still running like 1070 or 1080 or something like that, which this game is a next-gen game. I get the performance stuff right. People can complain that they can't play it on the older stuff. That's that's fine and dandy. I get the stuff that has to do with the the crafting system is still needs work. I get that too. I get in that game to wail on shit and shoot shit with lasers. And that's what I like to do in that game. And then I go and see if there's a better version of a weapon or I go through and, and, and the, you know, in the in-game shop right after the end. And I feel like that could be worked on a little bit better. And I feel like the system of breaking stuff down and adding components to your weapons to get the right roll is a good thing. Also, it is a random roll game with those weapons, just like Vermintide for the most part. And if they add a crafting system that makes it superior to Vermintide, that's fine. It doesn't have as many levels as Vermintide. Vermintide's also been out for a pretty long time. And it's had a lot of passes over that game to get it to the place it is today. So it's not as good as yeah. Vermintide. It's still really fun. I still like I still like playing it. But I also have only been I, playing it mostly with you guys. Right. But I also I'll say this. Is it as polished yet? No. Oh, Will it be? I certainly think so. Um, I think the core, I think the core game loop is actually even more enjoyable than Vermintide was because the range there, combat is better. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't feel unless you're playing an Ogren, um, you don't feel like you absolutely have to be right up in the shit the entire time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you like to play the the veteran, which is more ranged than the other classes. But like my, my zealot like can do pretty good range. Like I even have a buff or a, a trait I can take, which turns him into a ranged zealot, but he really shines with melee, um, which is why I tend to, I'll, I'll go through whole sections of the game where I don't ammo back up because I'm really only using it when I've got a sniper or something like that, that I don't think I can get to in time, or I've got a big dude that is beat me up too much when I'm too close to him. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm gonna have to range this guy, but like you can add the range perk and get a flamethrower and decimate stuff with that guy. Um, technically flamethrower is range, but it's not that far. I like it a lot, but I, I don't know. I, I think that they want, they don't want to have a mixed rating on steam. In fact, I think they got like 2,000 negative reviews in the last month. Um, just kind of looking at it, right? Um, so definitely definitely in a weird spot, but I'm still playing it. And I think I have thrown – I have – I think I have thrown money at the cash shop, but that's because I have the money to, it's to do it. And it was my choice, and I wanted to get some of that dope-ass – shit for my level 30 character so i did buy like i think i spent 30 dollars on cosmetics on my zealot over the last two months but that's that's my choice it altered my gameplay none it just made me look cool to my friends <laughs> um cooler than i was looking um 
you've noticed that we've been very absent with Forspoken. Um, so I'm in a space right now where if I'm kind of on the edge with a game that's full price, I'll wait and look at reviews. Like anything more than 40 bucks, I won't usually take a chance on anymore. Um, unless it's something I'm really looking forward to, like even Dark, like Dark Tide is one that I spent money launch day on because I played the alpha and I was like, this is really fun. And I played the beta leading up to the official release and it's like, still really fun. I'm going to buy it. But I did try it before I bought it, right? Forspoken is a $70 price tag on PC or PS5. And on PC, it has some stupid system requirements. And on PS5, there's a lot of different things you need to do to get it running at a great frame rate, whether you change different performance options or not. And it's got a pretty generic rating right now, right? Um, for people that get a lot of new games that I seem to be interested in a lot, there's a reviewer called ACG that I watch quite a bit on YouTube that tends to review games quite a bit that does a, on a sale of wait, buy, or buy on sale or don't buy at all. He gave it a don't buy at all. I watched uh, Jeff Gersman, formerly of Giant Bomb, play it for a couple hours the other night. Um, I listened to the old Giant Bomb crew on Nextlander also talk about it this week. Um, looking at PC Gamer, was reading their review of it as well, and PC Games N as well, Games Radar as well. It's got a 66 on Metacritic. Like, with the only people really rating it that high being some of the smaller publications. And not that I we tend to align with that, but there's so there's like 300 plus reviews of this game out right now. And it's overwhelmingly mediocre. And a lot of it just stems with it being a collectathon game with a pretty lackluster story with pretty lackluster gameplay and kind of floaty controls. And I just didn't want to spend 70 bucks for that. And I don't think that we will review it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah. it seems like it's a fairly mm -hmm. long game too. And it has like a lot of weird fish out of water mother motherfuckers. Like we curse on this show, right? But like appropriate level of cursing, like we're not just, we're not just throwing a motherfucker out there to throw out a fucking motherfucker. And that's kind of where the dialogue in this game sits. And it's also not very well acted. And it also seems like, like it's in a medieval world. In a fantasy setting, and the only person cursing is this gal from New York that transdimensionally trans teleports into this new land. It's just a weird fish-out-of-water thing they got going with the character. And the voice acting is not fantastic, but it's also not enjoyable. There's a lot of banter between your gauntlet and the character, which kind of harkens back to uh, High on Life. And the banter is not that good. Also notice that when you pulse stuff, right? So like watching Gersman pulse the map to see where things are and it fades pretty quickly. There's a lot of over there and over there and over there. There's something over there. I think I need to go over there. And it's just repetitive. Um, it just, it looks disjointed and not done very well and aggressively mediocre. And it doesn't feel like $70 well spent. Um Yeah. I am, you know, if anybody, if you guys find my Steam profile, you'll see that I buy a, a shitload of games, but I buy a shitload of games on sale. 
And if I'm going to spend like 40 bucks or 60 bucks, I might opt to buy four or five indie games that I have my eye on or something on sale that I have my eye on before I do something like this. It's very rare for me to spend $60 on a game. Um, I, I think I did it five times all last year. I've got, you know, 85 purchases last year and five of them are at that price tag. Most of them are at like a 10 to $20 range, sometimes even less. So I don't know. I guess uh, you guys are just not going to get a full forespoken review because I want to spend my time doing better things. I literally just fired up Witcher again today, and I've decided to uh, – I really want to play Witcher right now So, yeah. with ray tracing. And uh, I really like that game. I really – I'm looking forward to experience something in that same vein right now, and I don't know what's out there that's like that. There's, there's just nothing new in the same vein as a Witcher right now. And uh, Elden Ring will have a DLC at some point probably this year, and that's when I'll get back into that. But I'm I'm going back to something I really enjoy because that's the reason I play games. But I yeah, I mean, I hope for it, but who knows? Other than that, um, I know there's probably a smattering of other things out there, but I didn't really see anything real consequential. Did you catch anything else? Again, nothing that's really consequential. All right. So I think with that, guys, uh, you can find us at tiltcast.com. Find us on Facebook and twitter.com slash tiltcast. Our YouTube channels, youtube.com slash real tiltcast, and search for us on iTunes and Spotify subscribe find some friends of the show we've got pupcast or picking up the pixels um, we've got no quarters net bmfcast.com um and i just blanked out i think i already said bmfcast tvgp.tv they do fantastic things and they also uh <laughs> they also play video games and with that it's the end of the show all right guys peace